beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I've said this to you before, but one of the reasons that we like to read through the Psalms is we can identify with a lot of difficulties and problems that we see that the psalmist go through. Whether it be David and a psalm that he wrote, and he wrote about 75 or 80 of the psalms, or if it's Asaph or Moses in Psalm 90, or the sons of Korah, you'll notice a theme within all the psalms that there are troubles, there are difficulties, there are problems that the people of God go through. This is what the scriptures teach as those who live in a fallen world. You are not going to escape this world without troubles and problems. Jesus said that if they persecuted me, they are going to persecute you also. Now we find James speaking about troubles when he says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Peter has a theme of trials in 1 Peter 3 and 4. He deals with it again in 2 Peter. Troubles and trials and difficulties, all the saints we read about in Scripture have had to endure problems and difficulties in this fallen world. We are not going to escape, and so, beloved, as we read, prepare your heart. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. John 16 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul, chapter 3, he said that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So it is going to happen. You see the problems that Noah went through with his sons. You see the problems that Abraham went through and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. You find the problems with David and Job and then you find it with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Problems are a mainstay within this world. We are not going to escape them. So, prepare yourself for them. Prepare yourself for when they come. Because they're coming. And oftentimes, as Job wrote, even as man is born into trouble, even as the sparks fly upward, standing around a bonfire, and you're seeing sparks going up in the air, and man is born unto trouble in that way, one after another, it just seems to become flying at you. And so the Psalms, we can identify with that. It resonates in our soul. It does something when we read and you see David going through the same thing that you are going through. I often read and I see that and I identify with that and I say, well, I'm not the only idiot. Because it just seems like that other people aren't going through those difficulties. Why is that? We see the, the jealousy, the envy that we have in Psalm 73 with Asaph. We can identify with that. You see the prosperity of those that are God-haters and you wonder what's up with that. Why is it that I'm doing these things and I'm having so many problems and here's this God-hater and it seems like he is at ease and his, fat, his heart is as fat as grease. Eating up all the goodies of the world. Seems like he has all kinds of things. And yet, when you come into the house of the Lord and you open up the Word and you realize that the Lord has set them in slippery places and He has prepared them like sheep for the slaughter. It's just a matter of time. Perspective, beloved. You have got to see all things in perspective of the teaching of God's Word. Job teaches us much about suffering. and We know that. James 5 teaches us to go to look to the prophets, those who have gone before us, 
as examples of suffering and endurance. Patience, as it were. Hupomone, the Greek term, means a continuance under trials and troubles. Look at the prophets of old. And look at how they endured. They had their complaints. They had their problems. They had their lamenting. I mean, don't paint them as if they didn't cry and didn't hurt. I think oftentimes we do that. I think oftentimes we see the saints of old and, well, I'm not like them. No, no, you're just like them. You're just like them. They're just like us. This is who we are. Fallen humanity that strives to live according to the Word of God and struggles in life. That's us. That's them. That's the disciples. That was the apostles. That's what you find with the believer. So, this particular text here, uh, Psalm 70, notice in the title, which is also inspired to the chief musician, a psalm of David, to bring to remembrance. Do you not need remembrance? Are we not a people that need to be reminded? You know, some of you, the older you get, you recognize that, don't you? That you need to be reminded. Maybe when you're younger, not as much, but you still need to be reminded. You need to be reminded of the things of God. But it seems as if the older that you get, the more that you need to be reminded. Now, as those who are the redeemed of Jesus Christ, we need to be reminded that God has redeemed us for His purpose. We need to be reminded of the providential hand of God. We need to be reminded that our God reigns, that He is sovereign. We need to be reminded, no matter what it looks like in the world around us, it seems as if all things are falling down, that our Lord is governing all things for His glory and for the good of His people. We need to be reminded, when you go through a time of cancer or suffering or sickness, that God has a purpose even in this. Beloved, don't fall into the trap of thinking because you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through, that God doesn't have a purpose in it. He has a purpose in everything that He does. In other words, there is nothing arbitrary with God. He has a purpose in all things, all motions. And you need to be reminded of that in your life continually. Why is that? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why? Because we often forget, don't we? The the Christian Sabbath is the Lord's day. This is the day we gather together and you need to be reminded. This is a a holy gathering of, of the Lord's people. A holy consecration unto the Lord. You need to be reminded that God dwells among us by His Spirit. Christ walks in the midst of us as His Word is being proclaimed. As we worship the Lord. You need to be reminded. This is not a casual gathering. This is not like going down to the legion. This is not a card club. This is a gathering of worship to Almighty God, of the people who have been called out of the world under the marvelous light in Jesus Christ to give Him honor and give Him praise. You need to be reminded. You need to remind your kids. You need to remind yourself who you are. You are one who is blood-bought of Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded of who we are and to whom we belong. 
You're not your own. You belong to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So there is the remembrance in this psalm. I need to be reminded. And you need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. We need a remembrance. So David, notice in the first three verses, you have David calling out again for the Lord. Now, with regards to this deliverance that he's calling for, it doesn't say in the psalm exactly what David is going through. And there are oftentimes psalms in that way. David is actually praying to the Lord, and he's going through difficulty. Now, you find that often in David's life, don't you? I'm going to make a point here. David is called a man after God's own heart. And yet here he is struggling, constantly going through something. We have that phrase today, it's always something. It is, isn't it? It's one thing after another. If it's not this, it's that. And that's the difficulty of the fallen world in which we live. But David, David is going through a difficulty. And he is a man after God's own heart. Beloved, the godly suffer. You understand that? You need to be reminded of that. The godly suffer in this life. God at times puts us through the vice. God at times puts us through great struggles and suffering in life. Things we cannot explain. Death of loved ones. Cancer. Loss of a job. Difficulties in families. Difficulties in the workplace. Difficulty in the congregation of the people of God. Difficulties in this world. God brings suffering to the godly. And in doing so, He molds and shapes us into the image of Jesus Christ. He learned obedience by the things that He suffered. Did you ever miss that one in the book of Hebrews? He learned obedience through His suffering. And no suffering is pleasant for the present time. But it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. So then James says... Let the trials, tribulation, let it do its perfect work. God has a work in the troubles. God has a work in the trials. Let me remind you of something. It's not forever. And though it seems like a long time, and you have the lament of the psalmist, how long, O Lord, how long? Keep it in perspective, beloved. Compare the time to eternity, and then you've got things in perspective. They're light and momentary afflictions in this life compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us in eternity. Keep it in perspective. So, just that point that the godly suffer. David is calling out to the Lord for help. He doesn't go to man. He doesn't go to man's wisdom. He doesn't go to friends. He goes to the Lord. Here's another lesson we need to learn. Where do you go when you go through troubles and problems? You see, we have, if you have a a routine, if you have a practice in your life, if you have a discipline of prayer, 
that ordinarily when things are well, you have a certain routine. But when things are not so well, what do you do? Well, it shakes things up. And the next thing you know, you're not going to the Lord, you're running to your friends. And let me say, there's nothing wrong with consulting friends after you have consulted the Lord. And you consult the Lord through prayer and searching the Word. So you can find principles and precepts of God's Word to instruct your heart how to deal with the matter that you're going through. David often, you see this, immediately goes to the Lord in prayer. Now, I use an an acronym. I use the ACTS, A-C-T-S, and how I pray. I think that way in my mind as I pray. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So I keep things orderly in that way. Why? Because we are to be a people of order. Look, you know, you, you, you become chaotic in things, and what does that bring? Confusion. I, I don't need to tell. No, I do, maybe. I, I need to remind you. You move in, and you've got boxes all over, and your husband's rummaging through that stuff, and what does he do when he can't find what he's looking for? Because he's disorganized, and he's in chaos. He starts yelling at his wife. Where did you put this? It's driving me crazy. I'm just looking for the coffee maker. He goes out and buys a new one because he doesn't want to rummage through. Orderliness, beloved. We are called to be a people of order, not of chaos. And so organize things in your life. That works to organize your prayer in that way. David doesn't do that. He doesn't go to adoration. He immediately goes To help. There's nothing wrong with that. There are those times. It teaches us again, there are different times and seasons in our life. Ordinarily, when things aren't rocky, when I'm not going through all kinds of mess, it's easy to pray in that orderly fashion. At other times, it's just simply, Lord, help me. Strengthen me. Draw near unto me. Forgive me. This is what David shows us here. So, notice what he does. First thing is he, he comes to God in prayer. Second thing in verse 2, he prays against the counsel of the ungodly. Now, now, the imprecatory psalms in the Old Covenant and how we pray in the New Covenant, it, there's some difference there. We are not praying that God would kill people in this sense of the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, everybody outside of Israel were the enemies of God. And oftentimes, God called upon the Israelites to wipe them out. They were the enemies of the true and living God. Now in the New Covenant, it's a little bit different. It's different because the church is now not bound up in the nation Israel. It is in every tribe, tongue, and nation of the world. And the church you find in the New Covenant did not pray for the destruction of Saul of Tarsus. They should have, they could have. But it's the Lord that converted this man who was one of the greatest apostles. And he brought us the epistles that we have, 13 of them, in the New Testament. So you can see that. Kill him. Wipe him out. And he was one of God's elect. I don't find any problem in praying for the confusion of the counsel of the ungodly. Because otherwise, we would be a people that is advocating then the ungodly counsel. The rebellious, the God-hating lifestyle. Now we pray contrary to that. Confuse their counsel, Lord. 
Let this be as somebody goes through a sickness. So oftentimes you'll come and you'll say a family member or a friend or somebody is going through sickness. And I'll ask you this question. Believer or unbeliever? Because it makes a difference, beloved. We pray that if it's an unbeliever, that through this suffering, that God would bring them to repentance. That he would so work in them through this suffering that the gospel then would be proclaimed to them. That this would be an occasion of salvation. Not just heal them and let them go on with their sinful lifestyle. No, do a work in their heart and let it be for that purpose. For a believer, sanctify them more and more. Cause them to be built up in the knowledge of the truth. Now oftentimes, beloved, we're not thinking rightly. We're not thinking rightly because we're not studying the scriptures. We're listening to somebody else say something or caricatures or little colloquial expressions that you've heard and then you're going with that and it's contrary to God's word. David says, confuse their counsel, turn them back. And notice then, <clears throat> he comes and he prays then for the righteous. And this will be our text this morning. Verse 4, he begins, let all those who seek you rejoice. Beloved, have you, have you gone through difficult problems in your life? Maybe it's with a wayward child. And as your child has walked away from maybe something that they said that they believed. And your heart is broken over that. The place that you go is to the Lord in prayer to pray for the salvation of that individual, of that member of the family, son, daughter, whatever it may be. But in the same token, think about this. You know how hard it is when you're going through it. If you've had cancer, you know what it means to go through a time of cancer. To not know if I'm going to make it out the other side of this. If you're a woman who's had a miscarriage, you know the pain and the heartache that you go through with that. I don't understand that. I don't know exactly. I mean, I know what pain is, but I don't know what you are going through. And each individual woman is different. So some suffer and have more pain than others do. All right, here's my point. When you've gone through that, beloved, pray for those that are going through it. You know and you understand, oftentimes we become so absorbed with ourselves. When you're rejoicing, when the Lord has blessed you in some extraordinary way, pray for those others that they may experience that as well. Pray for the peace that goes through your heart in others as they experience trials and difficulties of life. See, it's not only about you. You're not self-centered. We're to be Christ-centered. That means we are to think of others also. We are to do good to all men, but especially the household of faith. We are to be a people that looks out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. We are to labor with our own hands to provide for our needs, but also for the needs of others. You see, we are a covenant community. And therefore, in your prayers, pray for others who are going through what you're going through. Pray for others to experience the wonders of God's working through His Word and Spirit in their life as He has worked in your life. I can't change you. 
I can't change me. Now there are many things about me that I like to change. Especially now. You know, I, I often refer to with Maria as pre-COVID and post-COVID. I like to get rid of all that post stuff. I'd like to change that. And I can't. And so I can recognize, you know, I mentioned in Sunday school, I'm reading through a book on Naomi Judd, who went through years of depression and anxiety. And then in the end, she killed herself. She killed herself like six years after she wrote that book. And as I'm reading this, I can identify. And I often what I do is I read a book and I read it to Maria. So we're going through, she's got a book on tape, you know. So we're reading through it together. And I'll say this often to her. Sound familiar? Because I know what that experience is. I can identify with that. Well, I can't pray for her now. But I know other people that are going through, and I, I recognize that. I know the difficulties. So that's what we're called to do, is to be involved in one another's lives. The Apostle Paul said, we not only gave these particular things to you, but we gave ourselves to you. The, the church is really abysmal on that. I don't know how many of you read the text that I sent out on encouragement. I don't know if you just read the, the heading of it and get any further. But it's interesting, as Tim Challies wrote that, how, what a dearth of encouragement in the life of the church of people that are to be encouragers. Putting courage to one another. And there is always an occasion to encourage another person. And he goes through that and he laments about that as the life of the church. We don't encourage. We don't take the time. How long does it take? Some of you that are on my texting list, just texting a couple times a day. It it takes me five minutes to go through 30 groups and send a text. Five minutes. I don't have five minutes to encourage you. What would you think about that? Why don't you encourage us anymore? I don't have five minutes. I'm too tightly wound. I got too much going on. And you know, and you're just not part of my agenda. Sorry. That's the church today. When is the last time you encouraged another member of the congregation or another member of the congregation encouraged you? Specifically. A simple phone call, uh, a fellowship after worship service, a text message, a letter, an email, something, something, beloved. Why is this not happening with the people who are constantly ripe for encouragement? This is a sad commentary in the life of the church. We all are to be encouragers. All of us. Some are better at it than others, but we are all to encourage one another. That's part of the one another that the Apostle Paul gives. Encourage one another. Comfort one another. Pray for one another. Give to one another. Care for one another. Provide for one another. They're all there. And so you find a life that goes beyond itself. It's not focused on itself. It's other focused. It's outward focused to other people. That's the call of the Christian. So... 
David says, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let me ask you, beloved, are you seeking the Lord? To seek the Lord is to uh, search Him out. How do you search Him out? Now here's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Because if you're saying that you're seeking the Lord, but you're not a reader of Scripture, you're not seeking God. It doesn't matter what you say. If you're not seeking the Word of God, cultivating Scripture, you are not looking for God. You know what it means to seek, to look, to look after, to look to. You're looking for something. You're digging around your room. You're rummaging through boxes. You're seeking. And we are called to seek the Lord while He may be found. And that's what the believer does. God primarily is a seeker. He seeks and saves those who are lost. But when He has found you who are lost, you become a seeker after the Lord. It's the business of the believer. It's to seek after the Lord. Well, if you're seeking after the Lord, rejoice. Be glad. Be of bright countenance is what it means. As a seeker of the Lord, as one who is in the Lord, provided by for the Lord, be one who is rejoicing. That means at all times, David is going through trouble. And yet he finds the rejoicing because he knows he's in the hand of the Lord. When you're going through the trials of life, you need to remember that you are in the hands of God. You need to remember there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and there is no separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The bookends of Romans 8. No condemnation, no separation ever. You are in His hands and nothing can separate you from His love. Not height, not depth, not angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, nor any other created thing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And therefore, rejoice, beloved, even in through the trials that you go through because the Lord has a purpose of conforming to the image of Christ. And he says, and be glad. Rejoicing and being glad uh, basically are saying the same things, just rounding it out a little bit further. Being glad, rejoicing of a glad heart um, in the Lord. So, that's what happens when you seek the Lord. You see, when you seek the Lord, you see things in perspective. Oh, Putin is going to visit. She is going to visit Putin on Monday. I read, as I said, uh, a green light that is over, like a laser light that is over Hawaii now, is a signal of impending war from China. What will happen if the United States gets invaded? What will happen if a nuclear weapon is launched against the United States who cannot combat against Russia's nuclear weapons? What's going to happen to us? We're in the hands of the Lord. If I live, I live to the Lord. If I die, I die to the Lord. Therefore, whether I live or die, I am the Lord's. Keep it in perspective. You know, all the nations rage, but God has set His King on His holy hill of Zion. He's the one who rules. He is the King of kings. That means the King over all the kings of the earth. He is the Lord over all the lords of the earth. The King's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And He turns it whatever way He wills. Nothing is happening by chance. 
Even the actions of men, the rebellions against God by killing one another is happening according to the appointment of God for His glory and for the good of His kingdom. And you say, well, why would a good God let this happen? You know, beloved, we all deserve to be annihilated. The great good God that we serve who is good all the time gives us so many things richly to enjoy. We haven't earned them. We don't deserve them. I deserve to be in hell right now suffering the infinite wrath of God against my sins. And yet, I'm living and breathing and enjoying and worshiping and fellowshipping and enjoying many of the things that God has given in this life. I haven't earned it. I don't deserve it. We always want to start in the wrong place. Why would a good, why would a good God is saying that we deserve these good things? No, no. We deserve damnation. We deserve temporal and eternal wrath of God. We deserve right now to be anathema. To be stricken from the face of the earth. That's what we need right now to be because of our sin. And yet God has had mercy upon us. And so, be glad and rejoice in the Lord. And let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. Notice that David is rejoicing, exulting in God through the rescue that he receives. Now, when he says salvation... Interesting, the Hebrew word, Yeshua. Have you heard that before? Yeshua HaMashiach, Christ the Messiah. Yeshua. Joshua is the, the transliteration of Yeshua, the Old Covenant, which we get Jesus from that, which means Jehovah's salvation. David is saying here that salvation is of the Lord. And that only, not just simply means the redeemed from all of my sins, but all the rescue comes from the Lord. David is not asking for redemption here. He's not asking for the forgiveness of sins. He is a redeemed man. He's crying out to the Lord and he speaks about salvation. What is he saying? The rescue and the deliverance that God brings from an impending danger that I'm going through. Yes, he does redeem. Yes, he does deliver us from our sins. That's not what David is referring to. It's referring to all those situations of life that there is no hope in the strength of men. God alone can bring rescue. And he does. And we cry out to him for that rescue. And when he rescues, what do you do? How do you respond? Let us say that God be magnified. Not man, not the strength of man, but let our God be magnified. Let him be glorified. Let us boast in him. Let us exalt in him. Let his name be in lights, as it were. Let all the world know That there is a God in Israel, as we find with David and Goliath. God is to be magnified. God is magnified in our praise. God is magnified in our prayer. God is magnified in our worship. God is magnified as we cultivate the Word. God is magnified as we fellowship. God is magnified, people, by the the, the working and and the, the worship of His people. Whatever we do. God is going to be magnified when we walk in lockstep with his word. But notice what David says. Do you not find yourself here? Do you not often say to yourself, this is where I live? This is, you read the same thing, similar, 
almost in some places identical in Psalm 40. David says this, but I'm poor and needy. He calls on the people who are rescued and redeemed of the Lord to cry out in praise that God be magnified. And David says, but, but me, I'm poor and I'm needy. Now here's the, the deficiency oftentimes of translation. You think of poor, you, we talk about poor in our country, somebody doesn't have a lot of money. They live in the poorhouse. It's not what he means here. The Hebrew word here means depressed. David is drawing a contrast. I am depressed and yet in my depression, my exaltation is to the Lord. I'm exalting him even as I am poor and needy. I find that often pressed down within. That's what it means to be depressed. We don't like to talk about depression today. But there are so many millions of people that go through depression constantly. And it's a silent killer of many people. Why? Because we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to admit, I'm weak, I'm needy, I need help. We got that rugged individualism in the United States. I can do it. No, you can't. We are all right there, beloved, in verse 5. We are all poor and needy. We are all depressed at different times and seasons of our life. We're all pressed down. We're all in need of the uplifting of the Lord in Him alone. We need His rescue. I need to be rescued from some of the simplest things that I go through that are internal that I can't rescue myself from. The Lord must deliver. So, beloved, let me ask you, why? Why do we always outsource? Why do we always go to other places that cannot heal, that cannot rescue, that cannot bring redemption, as it were? There's no rescue in those things. There's no healing in those things. David cries out in his depressed state, in his needy state, Come, Lord, quickly. That's what it means to make haste. Don't delay. Come now. Have you had that from a friend? You go through a difficulty, you get on the phone with them. Hey, I need you now. Get over here immediately. This is what David is saying. Come now, Lord. I might not survive if you don't rescue me now. And David recognizes that God is his help and his deliverer. Beloved, do you recognize that? Not only has God redeemed us from our sin and misery, not only has He redeemed us from the pit to which we have earned and deserved, not only has He has rescued us from the infinite wrath that has come upon all those that do not have refuge in Christ, God is our help and our deliverer in all of our temporal needs. What are you in need of today? Are you in need of a spiritual uplifting? God is your help and your deliverer. Are you struggling with a health condition? God is your help and your rescuer. Are you struggling with emotional things? God is your help and He is your deliverer. Cry out, beloved, to Him. Don't start with the things of men. Start with the things of God. Counselors are a good thing. In the multitude of counselors, the proverb says, there is safety. But the chief counselor 
is God and His Word. And that's where we need to run. And so David says, You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, don't delay. If you prayed that way, if you called upon the Lord in that way, beloved, if you haven't, you will. And you'll know when you're in that predicament that there is no help in the things of man and you will look up. And you know, God puts us in those places so that we will recognize the futility of the things of man and that our help is in the name of the Lord. God brings us to those low conditions that we can see ourselves as poor and needy because that's where we are and that's where strength is found, beloved. That's the delusion of the church today. It's to think there is strength in man and our programs and our doing in and of myself. I'm strong. And we're weak. We're weak. We, we, we need the strength that is in the Lord. And so when we come to the Lord in our weakness, then we find strength. Why? Because it's the Lord then who fights for us. You can't fight the battles. Learn from Moses. Lord, if you don't go before us, I'm not going. It's futility. If the Lord is not defeating the enemies of Israel, I am not going. Because it's futile. God out before us. Providing the way for us. And He has, hasn't He? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, beloved... David's admonition is for us to keep on looking to the Lord and don't lose hope. Keep one another in prayer. Encourage one another. Come alongside of one another and always remember and remind one another that our help and our deliverance is Christ. There is no deliverance. There is no comfort. There is no peace. There is no joy. There is no love. There is no affection. There is none of the things that the Bible speaks about of the fruit of the Spirit apart from Jesus Christ. But in them, in Him, there is an abundance of all the wondrous fruit of the Spirit. Keep on looking unto Jesus. He is our help and He is our deliverer. Amen. Shall we pray?